0: This is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you. God is light and there is no darkness in him at all. So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. This is the word of the Lord. Oh, man. Good morning, church. All right, see, now the third time that somebody says that, we're all awake and and we answer. So it's good to have a couple of people ahead of time prepping on that so I can, you know, get a good response. No. I I love worshiping with you guys. I know I say that a lot, but I love worshiping with you. I love bringing a sacrifice of praise to God with you. Um, And I love being in community with you. And it is just good to be with you as God's people today. And I, I really, really hope that you took to heart what Daniel said, is that, that Jesus is still as loose in the world today and as powerful in the world today, and the resurrection is just as real today as it was when we celebrated it last week, as it's been for thousands of years. And I hope that you have felt the presence of God's resurrection in your life this week. I hope you will continue to carry that with you, because that is what we stake all of our hope and our claim on, is that he is risen indeed. We're kind of turning a corner here. We've been, we've been talking about the spiritual disciplines um, since the beginning of the year. And we're, we're kind of turning the corner into the last four of them um, and of the 12 that we're going to discuss. And we're moving into what's called the communal disciplines. And, and let me kind of preface with why these are considered communal disciplines. Everything that we've talked about as a practice of spiritual discipline. One, it's designed to bring us freedom, okay? That is why God has given them to us. They're not an end to themselves. Instead, they are a means of having the freedom to be used by God's Spirit, to have His Spirit well up in us, to be able to, to, to live in right relationship with God, okay? So they're not, they're not little things that we're checking off to make sure that we're spiritual, they're not some kind of inside track to being right with God. They are just means of being free to allow God's spirit to do his work in us. Okay, And every single one of them has, an, has a component that has to change an attitude in my heart and have an outward action and then obviously will be in my relationships with everyone. So in essence, every single discipline has a communal aspect to it. But why we call these, Why we call these ones that we're going to look at over the next four weeks? We're looking at confession this week, we're looking at guidance next week, and then we're looking at worship and celebration. We get to end on a high note. Uh, but we're looking at these not just because they have a communal aspect to them, but they are the fundamental pieces of what a Christ-like community is made up of. If you think about Jesus' relationship with his disciples, if you think about the church that we see at the beginning that is started in Acts, these things characterize them. That they are committed to telling the truth about who they are and who God is and what their relationship with him is like. That they are committed to loving each other and working together to work out their salvation together. That they love to bring the sacrifice of praise to God and that they love to rejoice in the amazing life that God has given them. And it is that community that we see in Acts 2 and Acts 4 and all the way through the book of Acts that people just come in droves to come be a part of. Sometimes they don't even necessarily understand what all of the beliefs are. They get really, really confused on all the particulars. There are people that are coming like going, okay, baptism, what's that? Well, like God, I don't even even necessarily know what the scripture says. How can I unless somebody explains it to me? But what they are attracted to is the Christ-centered community where the power of the Holy Spirit has invaded people's lives and they are living in such a way that is undeniably different, that is undeniably powerful, that is undeniably focused on Christ. And so when we look at these disciplines, this is why we call them the communal disciplines, because they, are, they give us the freedom to live with one another the way that God intended us to live. Uh, when, I, when I moved here, one of the many things that I needed to do in order to kind of make this transition from the States to living in Canada was I had to get a new driver's license. And I found out really quick that it is not the same to get a driver's license in a new country as it is to get a driver's license in a new state. I've done that a lot, okay? Um, I've had a driver's license in Colorado, Texas, Colorado again, Washington, and then Indiana. Basically, it goes through the same thing just about every time, okay? You you bring in your existing license. You bring in a bill or something that shows that your new address is definitely in this state, and then you pay whatever money they tell you to pay, and, you know, da da license, okay? It's pretty simple. It didn't work that way uh, here so much at all. Um, and the first thing that I took for granted was that they would look at that license that I have and actually believe that, yes, in fact, it does mean that I do know how to drive. Um, I, it was really interesting. Like, I started having to request paperwork from Indiana and from Washington, and they, uh, they actually almost wanted me to go all the way back past 2006, if you can believe that, and, and pick up paperwork from when I was in Colorado just to not even for insurance purposes, just to like prove that like i didn't need a novice license, and I'm like, this has c d l on it. I used to drive like church buses and dump trucks, man, so that's not there that's here you know you know, it's, you know whatever right, so I had to get all these like sealed documents you know from them in sealed envelopes, so i couldn't tamper with them and all kinds of cool stuff, right. The other thing that I found out is that they took for granted any of the information that was on the license including the little thing that said he needs his glasses in order to drive. So when we go to do the vision test the office worker the first thing that they t- the office worker tells me to do is to take my glasses off. And I'm like <laughs> okay. So I take them off so I, you know I, I take them off and I put my you know put my face in this thing that like looks like one of those big telescopes that you're looking at like at Niagara Falls or something. To, you know, see a cross or whatever. I put it in the big thing. And basically, I'm just seeing this big light blur, okay? Like right now, I can, I can generally make out that you have faces right now, okay? I know that's Joanna because she has her sunglasses on in church. That's, that's, but the only reason I know that is because your eyes look really big right now, okay? I, I, can't even, I can't even see. I can't even make out whether people are looking at me funny or not right now. So if you're making faces at me, be covered in the grace of God because I don't know. Um, I have no idea. You could be asleep right now. I don't know. Um, unless you start snoring. Uh, but So I can't see anything in this. And she says, please read to me the lowest line of text. There's a line of text. Okay. That's good to know. And I say, I'm sorry, I, I can't read that. And and she says, okay, well then read the next line up. Oh, there are two lines. Okay, that's good information for me to know now. I still can't read it. And now she's even kind of getting a little bit, I don't know if she didn't read my license card or whatever, but she's kind of getting a little frustrated with me and going, can you read the topmost line? I'm like, okay, there are three lines. Got it. (laughs) Nope. Uh, And and she goes, well, can you make a guess? I'm not even really sure what's going on at this point, but I I squint a lot. Nope. Uh Uh-uh. And she goes, okay, well, Go ahead and put your glasses on. I put my glasses on. Huh, wonder of wonder- Magically, three lines of text appear. I can read them frontwards and backwards. You know, I can read them fast. You know, I'm, I'm there. And so I get my license with the stamp that says, yes, indeed. I really do need my glasses in order to drive. Okay. Um, it may have been an exercise in redundancy, but it also kind of proves a point. If I had tried to just start spouting letters, G, K, silent Q, you know, I mean, it just whatever, it would have been a sham because the, she knows what's on that sheet of paper. She knows what's there. If I start saying stuff and making stuff up, doesn't make it true. And if I try to, cla- I try to craft some clever argument about, well, because I cannot see the lines, they are not really there now, are they? Whatever. You know, the, <laughs> the lines are there. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not there. What I needed was for things to come into focus. What I needed was clarity. What I needed was a lens to be able to look through in order to see things the way that they really are. And see, (coughs) when we look at the heart of the discipline of confession, that is what we experience. Confession is a lens for the eyes of my heart. The freedom that this discipline provides for me is the freedom to live without any kind of false pretense about my relationship with God, about my relationship with others, about the world that I live in and about who I am. Instead, I get to have it all rooted in honesty. And I get to have it rooted all in clarity. Confession helps us to see God the way that he really is. Holy, loving, perfect, true, and faithful. I'm really, really excited. I I mean, talk about participating in the resurrection. Um, a, A small group of us got to stick around um, last Sunday and, and got to celebrate um, with Raymond and with Hailey, really, really awesome um, students that are here from China that are at UVic that decided to put Christ on in baptism. And, and, and the, the thing that they did when they were putting on Christ in baptism is they confessed who he was. And we all responded in that confession, and it was a time of great celebration. You see, I think sometimes we have, we have limited this idea of confession Merely to, like, having to be real about my sin. And that's true. But I need us to paint the broader picture that that the whole point that I bring out my sin is because it allows me to bring things back into focus of exactly who God is and exactly who I am. And their confession that they needed his lordship in their lives was not just about their sin. It was as much about who he was as about who they are and about what this relationship looks like. And so we rejoiced in their confession of Christ. All the songs that we sang this morning are confessions of who God is. He is faithful. He is strong. He is with us. Those are just as much confession... As I am not always faithful. I am not always strong. I am not always in right relationship with God. I want us to keep that idea of confession in our minds because we're going to talk a lot about confession and forgiveness here, but I don't want us to limit it as merely just coming back to God and saying, okay, here's what I've done wrong since we last talked. Okay, because that's not... That's not God's idea of confession. That's not really what he wants even. What God wants is that clarity for us. What God wants is for us to be able to see the world and our place in it and his relationship with it and his lordship over it and who he is. He wants us to see it clearly. And sin obscures us from doing that, and so we have to get that out of the way so that we can see it clearly. And that's not fun, okay? It's not um, I, and I think, I think maybe there are a lot of reasons that we avoid confession as a practice or a grace or anything. I mean, we may, we may tack on a general and forgive us of our sins on a prayer every now and then, but I think a lot of times we avoid specific, honest, heartfelt, thoughtful confession. And the most obvious reason is because it is not fun to admit that I am wrong, okay? I don't like doing that. Okay, And so, because I am your minister and have to set an example for you, that was my phone on Friday. (laughs) I'm sorry, Joan. I had it on mute. I don't know how the timer got set for an hour and 15 minutes, somehow randomly in my rear pocket to go off in the middle of the memorial, but it did. And my first thought was righteous indignation. Who has got their phone going off? And who is behind? I am in the sound booth. There is nobody behind me. <laughs> Crud. Okay. I I messed up. I'm sorry. I don't like having to admit that I'm wrong. I don't like having to admit that stuff. We don't like having to do that. But there is something that happens when we are willing to admit that we are wrong. and And... and let me also just say, I don't like having to change attitudes and actions that I've become, um, that I've really become focused on or, or that I've become attached to very much. And, and, and God kind of requires that with confession, too. Because if I'm just kind of taking my sin lightly and saying, yep, I messed up again, yep, I messed up again, yep, I messed up again, he's like, that's not really, that's not really confession because you're not really seeing this the way that I see it. You're not really seeing this through through my eyes. You're not seeing it in clarity and in focus. And I want you to see it clearer. I think mostly our aversion to practicing confession is a lack of good understanding of why God wants us to do it. In our passage this morning in First John, we see him laying things out fairly clearly about our lives. John doesn't pull any punches. Um, by this time, I, you know, he's, he's kind of an old guy. He doesn't, he doesn't worry too much about sugarcoating the medicine or smoothing over the ruffled feathers. He's just going to tell it like it is, right? And uh, and he just says it simply. Do you say that you're living in fellowship with God's light, but your actions and attitudes are clouded with darkness? Okay, you're a liar. I hate it when he does that. Okay, I really do. Because he just, he doesn't leave me any wiggle room there, right? He doesn't say, oh, you're misguided, or, oh, you need a little more, you know, you, just, you need to grow a little more in your faith. He's like, no, you're being a liar. Thanks. You know? And he says, but if our attitudes show a striving to walk in the light, then we become purified. Are you claiming that you're without sin? Rationalizing it? Are you ignoring it? Are you saying it doesn't matter? Are you treating it too lightly? Again, with the liar word. And yet if we engage in the confession of being being out of a relationship with God, he is faithful. He moves to restore that relationship through forgiveness. And he cleanses us from all impurity. It's pretty black and white as far as the apostle is concerned. We have a God who is faithful and who is ready to forgive, but we need the discipline of confession in order to live in and work out of that forgiveness. Forgiveness is the focus of confession, not the sin. It is the clarity that confession brings, not the dealing with the obscurity. That's the point of confession. God wants us to engage in confession because it brings us back to the heart of the cross. See, I think many of us are living in the notion that the cause of the cross was God's anger and disgust at our sin. Like, what am I going to do with these people? I cannot fix this any other way. I guess I will have to kill my son. That he was just at his wit's end and said, fine, fine, this will take care of it. I'm so disgusted, I can't live with this anymore. I'll take care of it on the cross. I don't know that we would actually say it in those harsh of terms but sometimes I think we buy into that. And folks, I don't I don't believe that that is the the god that we celebrate. I mean if God if God really wanted to if God was really just disgusted with sin and wanted to do away with the problem, he could have just finished what he started in Genesis 6, man. Don't save Noah. It's pretty simple. Just you know, done. No more sin. No more humanity. It's easy. If it's rooted in his inability to exist with sin, then that's a really easy answer and we don't have to have any of the rest of the story. Here's the thing. That's not what's motivating God. It's what Fred talked about at the table this morning. It is his sweaty palms, heart all flutter, love for you and me that is driving him to the cross. It is his deep, rooted desire to be in good relationship with you and me and his refusal to let sin continue to stand in the way of that that drives him to the cross. It is not God's greatest moment of weakness in Mark when Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is his moment of greatest triumph because he is finally unburdening us of sin, taking it on himself and removing any barrier that you and I have between our sin and him. Standing in the, you know, There's nothing standing in the way anymore. God desires to lavishly pour out his forgiveness on us. He desires to lavishly pour out his love on us. And confession is what brings that clarity of forgiveness back into my life. Paul writes it in 2 Corinthians 5.21, the one who had no sin was made to be sin for us. Why? Because God's greatest delight is to forgive, like the father running to embrace the runaway son. And when we engage in confession, we are allowing God to do just that. But why do we consider it a communal discipline? I mean, up until this point, it sounds like most of this is between me and God. What do I need, why do I need to confess communally? Why do I need to even think about that? I think there's a number of reasons. I think first we look at the we look at the passage. John seems to think there's a connection between my ability to walk in God's light and my ability to have fellowship with all of you. You look in verse seven, I think even further he's saying we can't actually have fellowship with God or be out you can't actually have fellowship with God and be out of fellowship with his church. See, we need to realize something. Isolation is spiritually killing us. If we want to be in right relationship with God and yet we are out of relationship with one another, we are isolated, we are in trouble spiritually. And this totally goes against the cultural grain of so many people that are saying, well, you know what, I, I can have this great relationship with God, I don't need this church thing. And maybe I'm kind of preaching to the choir because you guys are already here. But I, I mean, I, I need you to understand Like There is this huge relationship between being able to be in good community with people and being able to literally be in good relationship with God. Consider what what he's saying here, okay? I think so often it is our sin that isolates us. I'm not sure where we get this idea. It's kind of self-propagating. But the majority of Christians I know feel spiritually inept compared to the rest of the body. We have some errant tendency to view the body of Christ, as a community of saints first, rather than looking at us as a community of sinners that have been redeemed and are being restored by the grace of God. And we think everybody else has got the market on this whole holiness thing, and they've got a grip on it except for me. And so when I have difficulties, when I have struggles, I isolate myself. I run away and I stay alone in my sin, or I say, well, everybody else seems to have the willpower to be able to handle this on their own. I guess I can have the willpower to handle it on my own, even if I know I can't. I mean, think about it. Let me, I mean, let's just get real here. Why is the divorce rate among Christians almost the exact same as it is among non-Christians? Why is that? I mean, I don't need any, I don't need any big statistics or, or demographics to show you to know why. I'll tell you why. It's because somewhere along the line, we started lying to ourselves and thinking that Christians had to have their marriages all together and that they couldn't invite anybody else into their lives when they were having problems. And so we just kind of wait until things go stupid and crash and burn. And then we look from the sides and go, oh, that's so terrible. Oh, that's silly. That's so silly when we've been given the resources of so many people that love us, that want to help us in our relationships with one another, they want to help us love each other as Christ loves us, right? And yet we don't take advantage of it. Why, according to which survey you look at, do 40 to 50% of Christian men struggle with pornography, and, all, and now it's getting to the point where it's almost 20% of Christian women? That's, that's nuts. Why is that? Because despite all the data, we still think that we're the only ones struggling with it. Isolation is killing the believers of Jesus. And John says when you, are, when you come into the community of light that is the church, you've got one of two choices. You can either be in fellowship, you can confess, you can be forgiven, you can live authentically and honestly with people, with your life, or you can take your sin and you can duck back out into the darkness and get picked off one by one out in the darkness by yourself. Confession is God's way of allowing us to really throw aside any of the lies that we've built up in our heads about our relative sinfulness or righteousness and allow us to come as we are, all sinners made holy by the grace of God's forgiveness and be able to live together the way God intended us to. And the Apostle James, the brother of Jesus, he was also really clear on this need for corporate confession and forgiveness. If you look at James chapter 5, Verses 15 and 16, he says, If someone has sinned, in the prayer of faith, he will be forgiven. So confess your sins to one another. Pray for each other that you may be healed. And we're not just talking about physical sickness here, we're talking about God's ability to restore sick souls, sick hearts, sick lives. Have you been languishing in a sin in your life for what seems like forever? Can I ask you a personal question? Have you been trying to do that alone? You've been trying to deal with that by yourself? Have your doubts and the stumbling and the lack of progress beat you down because you're trying to carry it by yourself? What if a piece of the power that would come for your healing would come in the ability to share that burden with other Christians who love you and will fight with you and help carry that for you so that you can overcome it? Is it possible that we don't experience the transformation that we're looking for in our lives because we are not willing to engage in confession and receive the intercession of other people on our behalf for our sins and our struggles and our temptations? I think we need that. I also think we need the accountability that confession with one another provides. I mean, uh, Richard Foster in his book on this says it's the ultimate reality therapy. Because it takes away any sort of excuse, it takes away any sort of justification, it forces me to have a sober mind about my life, namely having an authentic examination of my conscience and having sorrow, genuine sorrow for my actions that are out of alignment with God and a determination to change them. See, I know me. We were talking, I was talking about this a little bit with Mark this morning after class, and we, we talked about how, how God desires to transform our emotions and our feelings, right? And how difficult that is because our feelings often kind of lead the way, and they lead us in all kinds of things. And we let, them, we let them be horrible masters when they could just be good servants if they were in service to greater things. And we talked a lot about how Scripture can do that, but Mark was talking with me after, and he's like, that's why we need community so much. Because if I'm left alone, I will rationalize and justify any kind of sin. I will, I will say it's perfectly normal for me to feel this way and need this thing and do that, and yet if I have to be in confession and accountability with somebody that loves me enough, not just to support me, but loves me enough to tell me the truth when I need to hear it, when I'm lying to myself, right? It takes away, it, it, it eradicates any of those rationalizations. It makes me look at it, and then once they've lovingly called me out, they're also willing to fight with me in order to make the changes that need to be made. And, oh, church, we need that so bad. We need that so badly. But I think there's another reason why, why communal confession is so powerful. I realize we believe that there, there is no mediator needed between God and us except Christ Jesus, okay? It's true. It's scriptural. Paul says it in First Timothy 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 5. Okay? And I believe it. But Scripture also calls us a priesthood of believers in First Peter one. It gives us this idea that we're charged with building each other up into the image of God, that we are all being built up together into a spiritual house of worship together, like living stones in a royal priesthood, and he uses all this metaphor to talk about us coming together as a body. I was reading so many passages about this idea of of confession and forgiveness as a community of believers. And I came across this passage in John chapter 20 that absolutely floored me. You may want to turn over to John 20 with me just because you may go, are you serious? Okay, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe you guys have known this one for years, but this one came, and again, it was kind of like the sledgehammer wrapped in velvet and hit me upside the head with it in a really good way. Okay. Jesus has appeared to all the disciples, okay? I need this. this is not the 12. This is all the disciples. Okay. He appears to them, and he breathes on them and says, Receive the Holy Spirit. And what does he say right after it? If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive their sins, they are not forgiven. Do you hear that? If you forgive anyone their sins, they are forgiven. Now, I want to be careful with this. Okay? Okay? God is not putting you and I in authority over one another. That is not what Jesus is doing in this passage because it is attached to the reception and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is not some gift that he's just giving to the 12. This is, this is, for, this is for anyone who is a recipient of the Holy Spirit, you and I have been given the gift to allow the Holy Spirit to work through us help people feel forgiven I mean think about that for a second think about the amazing reality of that gift think about what Daniel said earlier today we have been set free in Christ right right okay okay I I just sorry I want to make sure we're all with me there okay I kind of got a mm, I don't know okay but here's the thing I know it up here There's so many days where I do not feel forgiven or free. Even though I know it. Even though I know it. I can read it all the time. And I don't feel it. Because I don't feel it, I don't act like it. Because I don't act like it, I don't live it. I don't live forgiven. Church, think of the power of the gift that Christ has given you and I through the Holy Spirit. Okay, we have the ability to speak into one another's lives and make the reality of the forgiveness of Jesus really real in people's lives. That's incredible. God has given us this great gift through the Spirit and the ability to confess for a brother or sister to speak into our lives on behalf of Jesus and pronounce us forgiven and free to voice what we so desperately need to hear in our souls, to look at the burden that is on our shoulders and to cut it loose by the power of God's Spirit. Is that amazing or what? That's incredible. And if we've been given so great a gift, my question is, why why do we hesitate to give it to each other? Worse, why do we hesitate to receive it from each other? This is not a power play. You know, this is not somebody in a starch collar standing in a box pretending that they don't know you and you unloading on them, you know, and then them going, okay, five, you know, go do this and that and whatever and you're forgiven. No, 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 no. This is is when you come to me or I come to you and say, I just, I, I am so, this thing is so on me. And you put the lenses back on my life and say, You are a child of God. You are forgiven and free. Go live like it. And you cut me loose from the burdens, and I cut you loose from the burdens. And we're able to live the way God intends to live free and full. See the power that we have been given, church the power to love each other. <laughs> in in amazing ways. I'll share a personal story regarding this kind of confession from when I was in college. I I had a sin that I had been struggling with for many, many years. It was just eating me up. And I was actually getting pretty scared to death about it because I'm I'm getting ready to graduate um, from Bible school and go be in ministry, and and I feel like this thing has just mastered me. And I'm getting ready to get married. This thing is, you know, I'm just like, what is my wife going to think? You know, when she's like, really? Really, you have that little self-control in your life that this just keeps just hitting you upside the head and hitting you upside the head and you just can't deal with it, really? And I had, just, I had gotten myself so twisted up about it. And I was in a mentoring relationship with a much older and much wiser Christian who was a professor at the university. And he and I met regularly and we talked about it in general terms. Um, but I had never really gotten specific with him about it. And it was just eating me up so much that I said, you know, I, I have got to I've got it. I've got to really lay it out there. I've got to. And so I I didn't even know if I could I didn't even know if I could say it, so I just wrote it down. Okay? I wrote it down on a piece of paper, line by line, and I brought it to him. And, and what I really was hoping he would do is, is just read it and go, okay. And then, of course he didn't do that, right? He glances at it, he hands it back to me, and he says, Read it. I love you. And and so I did, and it took a long time. There were a lot of, there was a lot of pausing. There was a lot of, um, yeah, there was a lot of tears. There was a lot of pain in doing that. It was not fun. Okay, I did not enjoy it when I was doing it. But after I was done, he asked for it back. And I'll never forget what he did. He had a shredder in his office. And he took took this paper that I had had all of my confession on. And he just shredded it. And what he said after that just stuck with me for the rest of my life about this sin. And it wasn't the last time I had to confess this sin. It wasn't the last time I had to confess it to him about it, but it got a lot easier. He said... It's done. You've asked for forgiveness. It's done. You are free from that sin. You are forgiven by God. And that sin is gone. It's obliterated. It's been chewed up into a hundred tiny little pieces. And it's gone. So it can't be this big thing that's on your shoulders anymore because you've given it over. Let it stay in a hundred tiny pieces in the basket. Don't pick it up and take it with you. And all of my worry and all of my sorrow and all of my pain about that sin was also torn up into a hundred tiny little pieces, just like that paper in the shredder. And for the first time in a long time, I felt like I could change. I felt like I could rejoice in God again. And even though I had to confess that sin again, I still do sometimes. I know that that mercy is there waiting for me when I do. Because somebody concretely stepped into my life and participated in the discipline of confession with me. Church, I want you to feel that freedom. I want you to experience that freedom so badly. I want you to be able to experience the power of mercy and forgiveness in close, intimate, and effective ways with each other. It may be so scary to start. But I know that there are so many other Christians here who love you and will not be surprised or shocked by your sin. They aren't looking to guilt you. They aren't looking to control you. They aren't looking to do anything like that. They just want to love on you and help you experience God's forgiveness and his reconciliation and his transformation in your life. And that's Daniel and I are here for that as your ministers. You've got shepherds, and that's what they're here for. You have, you have so many other people that don't hold any of those titles, but they are all about caring for people and lifting them up. Let's be a church that's willing to engage in the discipline of confession together so we can stop kidding ourselves about who we are and who God is, and we can finally live in the light together and then fellowship with, it, with one another. Find that person. Take that time. Share your heart. It is worth it. Guys, if you want to go ahead and stand up and, and uh, start passing those cards out now. I have also been thinking a lot about concrete ways that we can experience forgiveness as a church. And you know what? This, this is not obligatory. And, I, and, it's, and it's a symbol. There is, I mean, this is a symbol. Just like the cross that we had last week, you know, I mean, by itself, it is just a note card that you may choose or may not choose to write something on. But there's power in what it symbolizes. So if you want to partake in it, awesome. I would love for you to. We're passing out these blank cards, and I want to give you an opportunity to have a concrete way to respond to God's call for confession and receive that forgiveness today. God said it through Solomon in Proverbs twenty-eight, thirteen, that we sink under the weight of an unvoiced transgression, but then we confess and we are freed by God's mercy. We're going to enter into a small extended time of worship right now, and here's what I'd like you to do if you're feeling so moved during that worship time. I want you to take that card and use it as an avenue to confess. It could be sins that you're struggling with, maybe ways that you're seeing yourself out of focus. Maybe it's ways that you've seen God out of focus. Maybe it's time you need to tell the truth about who he is, and you've got this lie in your heart about his goodness or his faithfulness, and you need his spirit to remove it. Whatever it is, I want you to go ahead and write it down. And then I'd like you, during worship time, as you're able, come up to one of these shredders. We've got four of them. One, two, three, four. And I'd like you to drop your card in it. And as you do, I want you to feel freed by the mercy of God from that sin or that area of need and just be unburdened so that we can embrace the joy of being able to be honest with God and ourselves and each other together as a church. To truly have the ability to live in community with one another as he breaks down our sins into hundreds of tiny pieces and conquers them with his love and his forgiveness. I know it's challenging. I know I know you're, I know, know. the first thing you're going to be thinking is like, great, everybody's looking at me while I'm coming up here and dropping this thing in here. I'll be the first, all right? I'll go there with you. Because you know what? I need to live in right relationship with you. I need to live in community with you. I need to not live up above you as somebody distant, as like a minister that you can't talk to or that you can't be... Or in relationship with or be a friend with or know that he has weaknesses and is just like me and is trying to follow God as best he can, I'll be the first to go there with you. Let us live in honesty and in love with each other. I hope you'll take up the challenge. Let's stand up and let's worship.